0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Drum roll, please! Wow. Okay. Cool. Thanks, guys. Drum roll. <laughs> hey. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome for that. Great.
1: Great. Uh, I thought you well, were doing your own sound sound effects. That's what I thought too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, this guy. Uh.
0: Yuck! 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 Okay. Welcome back to Soulsmith. Oh, what did I say earlier at the end of the last episode? Welcome back to Soul Quest. Side Smith. Soul Quest. <laughs> Will 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 Soup, Will Smith Soup Side Quest. Yep. Anyway, welcome back to Side Quest. We have the one and only, the reigning champion, Spencer Cradle. I don't have a follow up here because we don't say last names on this podcast. So we have Spencer.
2: <laughs> Thank you. It's nice to be back.
0: Always yeah. happy to have you. Like we like to do, be sure to like and subscribe to Side Quest so you never miss a Side Quest.
1: And let's dive in. What did you learn this week, Slava? Well, it's two weeks in a row of me learning food-related stuff. Last week, I learned how to ethically kill a fish and preserve <laughs> its uh, <laughs> tissues, meat, yes, muscle, yep. all that stuff. So it doesn't taste like garbage. And this week, I found out about another cookbook. I have mentioned on this podcast a book called Escofé. It's a guide to kind of like the culinary arts by a guy named Escofé. was a French dude. You don't say. He invented over 5,000 recipes, and his textbook is used by professional chefs today. Actually, one professional chef that I know personally had to memorize over 150 pages in this book in order to pass an oral exam and then a like an actual hands-on exam in the kitchen of the school that he was a part of. This week, by by mistake or by coincidence or by sheer luck, I realized there's an Italian version, and not like an Italian translation, but a literal Italian version of this, of this type of oh, book. Oh, that's cool. It's called Science in the Kitchen and the Art of Eating Well, this time by an Italian guy who named Artusi, and he was originally a, a silk merchant and loved science, and health and then brought all those things together and wrote a cookbook on all the different italian recipes and foods from all the regions.
0: I have a question. Yes. How did he bring silk into
1: cooking? That's a good or question. Was that a side... <laughs> I <laughs> I just well, listen, he was a, here's the thing. He was this is what I know. He was a silk merchant who enjoyed science, health and food and he brought his, I guess, attention to detail <laughs> from his from his silk days. And because as a merchant, he probably would travel all the states of Italy. Uh, this was before the unif- unification, but he wrote this book after the unification or whatever, something, there, there's things that were happening in Italy and too grandiose <laughs> to get into on this podcast, but... Towards the end of his life, apparently, this guy named (laughs) Bertusi Wrote a f***ing cookbook. That's what I learned. (laughs) Carry on, people.
0: I've I've (laughs) asked one question and totally dismantled Slava's. Like, I learned this week. Like, well, clearly I didn't learn that much.
1: I found a cookbook. I didn't learn shit. Okay,
0: well, speaking of books, I attended a book release today for Alex Hormozzi called $100 Million Leads, and it's just like a marketing book from a well-known business guy that I like. He created this massive... There was... 200,000 people there and it was on zoom and it was like this big event and he gave away some free stuff and it was a really good time. And so I, I learned, he gave like a, a brief overview of what his book's going to be about and I'm in marketing. So I was trying to get better at my craft. And he said, um, or he, he made the distinction in his frameworks that he comes up with where you can generate leads or you can have others generate leads for you is like the two big categories that he, he drummed it up to. And then within both those categories, there's four squares that you can fill out of, like, different ways to generate leads. So although I didn't learn about cooking, I did also learn a book thing. So did you want to ask me any questions, Slava, to, to you know, see if I actually learned anything and dismantle my entire? Name one, <laughs>
1: one of the squares.
0: Um, okay, I will. Uh, I, it's, um, you, can, you, can cold, you can do cold outreach. Next question. Have you done any cold calling? Oh yeah, I. Um, this is not going to win me points. I used to sell robocalls. Ooh. So the calls that everybody hates to get, I would sell to politicians. It's not something I, ironically enough, it's not something I advertise about my life. But sometimes you just have to make money.
1: Fair. Yeah, I used to cold call for a construction company and offer our services in remodeling commercial buildings
0: makes sense yeah Uh,
1: spencer
2: what did you learn this week there's a podcast i listen to they do true crime episodes it's not specifically a true crime podcast this week they were talking about a serial killer from the uk back in the 70s they called him the uk's jeffrey dahmer oh he was gay he would go to the bars and pick up men and then bring them home murder them (laughs) <laughs> and then once, <laughs> so, as one cool, does, very different thing. Than as me. one does, <laughs> as one, as one does. Yes, he would bathe the dead bodies and then sit and watch TV with them, or read, or just like do these like random things with these yeah. bodies. And a then glass once... of pino did and he... like a dead guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, and and once he was done, he would either bury them or he would dissolve their bodies and and move on to the next guy.
0: What did he? Did he clothe them? Did he just, like, we're going to, hey, it's like if I invited you guys over and said, uh, you know, really wanted to watch this new TV show, figured we could all, you know, take our clothes off and just (laughs) watch The Witcher together.
2: You know, I'm not 100% sure. I think he would clothe them.
0: Well, that's good. At least he has some decent
2: Very specific, weird
1: type of sexual fantasies that he had. Super weird. Inquiring minds want to know what was the method of the murder, the killing? Asphyxiation, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, I think it was strangulation. Classic. Yeah, or he'd wait sometimes so they were unconscious from drinking, and then he would yeah asphyxiate them. So yeah, he was uh, quite the interesting guy, that's for sure. And how many dudes it, did to he to it it mildly? Off? How
1: many dudes did he whack off?
2: Uh, I think it was like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep, I knew that was Kevin.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish I had a funny retort, but uh, it's <laughs> it was only fifteen or sixteen. Uh, only it was fifteen <laughs> only. or sixteen. Only. Jeez,
0: <laughs> kindly killer's gone wild.
2: Yeah, but he was he was nicknamed the kindly killer because of how he would treat the bodies after he murdered them. <laughs> It wasn't like he was Sorry, just like... Sorry, I killed you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he wasn't just like being super kind
1: about killing them, obviously. But that'd be the most British thing to do.
2: <laughs> like, I
1: beg your pardon, but I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> I do say. <laughs> I, I do
0: say. <laughs> I beg your pardon, but I'm not begging, and I'm not pardoning. I'm just killing. <laughs> Good lord. Well, this is two for two now, where we've started the um, the show with killing entities... You probably heard in the last episode, Slava v- grossly describes, like, how to how to properly kill a fish. You, you know, <laughs> it's just the
1: wildest thing. I'm not going to go through it, I promise. But the thing is, you want the fish to taste good. And you want to kill it in a way that is humane, that prevents it from feeling pain, which releases a bunch of acids and adrenaline into the meat or the tissue of the fish, and then tastes like, like caca, and then... It's not a good fish. Kaka was a yeah. word
0: we'd use in the nineties.
1: I already said shit. I thought I'd, you know.
0: No, no, that's <laughs> no, fine. I just nineties moments. Anyway, to start off, Spencer, why don't you tell us how your journey has been reading Unsold and Soulsmith uh, since you're new to Cradle, just like Slava is, but I know that you're further ahead at this point.
2: Yeah, so my journey began with Jonathan harassing me uh, about <laughs> reading these books. He recommended them to me. He's like, "Hey, I think uh, I have this series that I think you would really enjoy. You should read it." I was like, "Ah, ah, eh, maybe I'll get around to it at some point." I have a bunch of other stuff I want to read right now. And then, like, I don't know, every few weeks or so, he'd like, "Hey, have you read this book?" I'd be like, "No, I haven't." Eventually, I found myself with a Audible credit that I didn't know what to use it for. And I was like, you know what? Jonathan's been bugging me about this series, so I'll give it a shot. Started reading Unsold. That's the first one. Didn't really get in, like, it didn't catch my attention very easily as I started reading. Uh, Wasn't super into it. But then in, I can't remember, it might be like halfway or at least some way, partway through the first book, a character named Cereal shows up and she is from the heavens, according to to Lyndon's perspective. That's where she's from. And all of a sudden, I was super intrigued. I wanted to know more about what was going on outside of Lyndon's little world and why uh, Cyril was so... Well, she she wasn't intrigued with Lyndon. He just happened to be To be there when she showed up. But she she was intrigued by him eventually, and I just wanted to know more about her, what what was going on outside the world, and in order to find that out, I had to continue reading. So once I finished book one, I was um, pretty hooked and got I think I got right into book two. It took me a little longer to finish, I think. But yeah, I just really, really enjoyed the book overall, and I think this is my first time reading progression fantasy but i but i like the the format i like the style of it and yeah i i am hooked i am currently on book eight of the series um so clearly i'm hooked. nice <laughs> but yeah so but book 12 one, yeah out of 12 so not too much farther to go it's, that's kind of my journey obviously with with one and two book two i think took me a little bit longer to read to me it felt slightly slower than the first book but um That's just my own opinion.
0: Interesting. I thought book two was uh, quite a bit faster, actually. Hmm. Mostly because you already know the characters.
1: For me, the first book, it took me a while to get into it. And I didn't feel the second book was slower only because I think I was happy to be back with Lyndon and Yaren. And then, like, chapter two, she's slapping people with swords, being being Yaren. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kind of watching, although it's incremental, like I mentioned last week, it's still a noticeable change in Linden, like a little like a little growth spurts in linden, so that kept me intrigued in the book,
2: yeah, I mean, I definitely have no- I noticed their like them growing, especially Linden, but I don't know for some reason, I just felt like I don't know what I was expecting, but to me to me, it just felt so i mean maybe it was because they just kind of stayed i mean they move. I don't remember exactly where they were at the beginning of the book and then where they moved to, but it felt like once they got to that location, they were there for a while. Like, they didn't move around. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and so I think that's why I thought get moved a little bit slower, at least the the pacing of the book. Yeah, that
1: makes sense. Yeah,
0: it's like they're in a town, and then they go to the mines, and then they're back in the town, and then they're back in the mines, so that's fair. I think that's fair because before that, they're like traveling from Sacred Valley to the Desolate Wilds, just like over the mountain and through the woods, right? To like Geshir's house, desert-ish. we go, ish.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. What about some likes or dislikes specifically about the book, or maybe without spoiling it too much for the audience, just in general? For you, you're now in book eight. Like, well, what are some things that you really love? Because you said you're now hooked, and what are some things you're like, eh? I could deal with that? Yeah, one thing I really like about this I've, I've kind of uh gotten
2: to see that there's clear goals that the character is pushing for. And so now that I know what the character is shooting for, I have something to look forward to and I like being able to see their struggles in those goals and also how they overcome those uh, struggles and like watching their growth in that I really like that.
0: Do you that I, I got a I got a question about that because I like it as well, but do you feel like when you're like you, you get the goal, okay, Lyndon wants to get stronger, cool. Do you feel like it's predictable? Do you feel like, oh all right, I know I know how he's gonna get stronger, I know he's not gonna run into any problems or like do you feel the struggle during the the challenges that he faces? not Linden specifically, but just like characters when they state their goals, does it feel cheap or does it like really draw you in?
2: Yeah, sometimes it does feel, I don't know if predictable is the right word, but I feel like I know that the character is going to advance, but I don't always know how that character is going to advance. And there has definitely been points where the character's, or I guess I'm thinking of specifically Linden at this point, where he's definitely come up against some obstacles where you're like, how in the world is he going to overcome this particular situation that he's in? And then he like finds a way, and you're like, oh, wow, I wouldn't have expected that. So there is maybe some nuance within how he achieves those goals or those levels in book two, advances from copper to iron. Yeah, when when, when he's in the mines and he's... Ethan traps him in there, and he's forced to to go from copper to, to iron. It really looks like Lyndon's going to die, and you're like, well, how, how is he going to overcome this? And then he finds a way. That, that was where I was like, okay, this is going to be super interesting, how he finds his way out of this. It, but like knowing that there's 12 books to the series, I feel like, well, obviously the main character is not going to die. So I want to know how he's going to achieve these goals that he has in mind.
0: That's a really good point. I I like the, I feel like Will White is pretty intentional with how he treats his characters, where he, at least in this series, doesn't really pull any punches, pun intended, (laughs) where, and you you know as well as I do at the end of book, I want to say it's book three with his fight with Jai Long that we get introduced at the end of book two, things happen. And Spencer, you know what I'm talking about. Like, and you think, oh, he's going to make it out. And then you go, oh, shit. And then, like, stuff happens.
1: I think there's a difference between what Spencer's talking about, and I agree with him. The main character, you know he's going to make it to Iron. Yes. That doesn't make it predictable. Well, you know, if the bad writing makes it predictable, when you're, you're not even intrigued by the process of the main character getting to something or getting to a place that you know he's going to do or she's going to do. That's not the predictability. The predictability is when you're like, oh, okay, so this is just a, you know, either a deus ex machina type of deal or lazy writing, right? So and I don't think White is guilty of either. Even though you know Lyndon's going to be in book 12, you're still captivated by the character and you're interested in his journey. Did I capture what you're saying correctly, Spencer?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that yeah. sums it up pretty good.
1: Well, what about some things that you didn't like so much? about the book or the, the the series in general progression fantasy let, let let's just stay there for a while um i don't know so much about progression
2: fantasy dislikes i don't have like i said i don't have a ton of experience with it so far one thing that i haven't really liked is after talking about watching characters you know grow and learn how to grow through their struggles i don't see a ton of internal monologue or like thought processes and and in each character and how they're how they're growing because sometimes I feel like we all of a sudden the character is just there ready to advance and I don't know how we got from where he just was or she to where she is now like there wasn't a ton of like internal uh, wrestling with how they're going to how they're going to advance, or like what their emotions are going into this. I mean, you get kind of some of the general maybe fear or happiness maybe that they have, but but sometimes I don't feel like I don't see them internally wrestling a lot with their struggles.
1: Yeah, because Lyndon, you know, you see him being afraid, and you see Lyndon like, oh, now I have to be nice to this guy, or he's gonna break my face. But yeah, I guess all I'm trying to say is I I, I haven't. Noticed that until you pointed it out. So, but sorry, continue. Yeah. I inter- I interrupted you.
2: Oh, uh, I don't know if I ha- had too much, uh, too many more thoughts on that. Yeah, the character all of a sudden is just ready to advance, and I'm like, oh well, he was just here, and I guess I, like to me, I just didn't see a whole lot of like internal wrestling with, um, how how best to advance. But yeah, that's that's obviously later on in the, in the series.
1: The only time Lyndon. Is thinking, or that we get a insight into his into his inner monologue, into his thoughts, is like his, he's reacting to an immediate event in his life. Oh, I have to run away. Oh, I have to hide. Oh, I have to be polite in the situation. And <laughs> I finished two books, and I don't really know what's inside Lyndon's head or what's inside Yaron's head the way I know what's inside Caledon's head from The Way of Kings. So, yeah, I agree. But I'm not sure if I hate that or don't like it or not like it. I'm just, it's just kind of there now, and I have to kind of think about it. And I think what Jonathan said earlier is maybe it's just it's early in the series. It's early in White's career. You guys can tell me more if by book 8 or 10 or 12. We get more inner dialogue. It might not even be
0: that we get more inner dialogue as much as there's additional characters, which based on the actions that they're taking we understand more of the inner workings because of the actions and we don't actually get more inner dialogue. What do you think, Spencer?
2: I think we see a little bit more inner dialogue later on in the series. Into it might I think so too, but I was just checking. Into yeah, it like I, I might have mentioned earlier is, you know, maybe that might not be the author's in, just writing style or intent. He might be more focused on like the action of the series versus just inner dialogue. But again, you know, that's just, I guess, for me, it's my personal opinion. I I would like a little bit more, but it's not something for me where I'm not going to read the series because I'm, I mean, I'm a book eight. I'm definitely intrigued by the series. Love how it's going.
0: It only gets better. I can't wait for Slava to meet some of these characters. Chugging along, uh, Spencer, who, in, I know it's two books and I put my foot in my mouth the first time we had you on. So hoping that I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth. I'm, I'm regularly doing this. So uh, who's <laughs> who's your favorite character so far in the two books? Because I know that there are different answers. As as uh, I mean, you're on book eight, I guess. Just b- before we
2: get to there, one more dislike I wanted to mention. Uh, sometimes I feel like th- sometimes the characters progress too quickly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes mm-hmm. I don't know, like because there's not a whole lot of in- internal dialogue. Sometimes I don't know how they got to where. Where they are, I don't really have a good instance of that in, in book two, but I feel like I see that later on in the, in the series where they where Lyndon goes to advance. And I'm like, oh, he's he's ready to advance, all right. I didn't even know like he was that far along.
0: Yeah, Slava made but, a similar note when he was like, oh, he advanced his cores multiple to iron, and I was
1: like, no, he advanced one of his cores to iron in book two. I think it would have been fantastic to have an inner. POV shot from Lyndon's brain while he was tr- getting stung by the sand viper mm. and drinking blood. What was he seeing? If we could get a view of his hallucination or like a little bit of <laughs> the scope of pain on a scale of, you know, smiley face to spiking your brain, like how do you feel right now? Is there is there a different option besides spiking your brain?
2: Nope, sorry, that's all you get.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: You're getting stung with you know, yeah, but hey, thirty-seven different dread beast snakes with venom, and then you're drinking blood. Like, there is no other option. Yeah, it's, it's that. <laughs>
1: that's that's how I feel right now.
2: <laughs> I guess moving on from that, uh, Jonathan, you asked me favorite character. I mean, later on in the series, I think it changes, but for for book up through book two, I would probably just have to say Linden is my favorite. Just being able to to watch him grow from having, I mean, in his in his family he was or in his in his community he was considered unsold like he didn't he wasn't even able to advance to copper like everyone else did so just to see him going from someone who hasn't advanced at all to now at the end of book two he's an iron for him like he thought he would never be able to see copper and now he's iron and he's super excited about that and yet knowing that he's got more to go based on what he saw in his vision from Serial, it's just really cool, I think, to see a character go from feeling absolutely hopeless to now he's on a path that he never could have imagined. And he's just like really excited to, to keep moving, to keep pressing forward uh, into what's next. So... I don't know if I I relate with him at all, but he's he's probably my favorite uh, in the series up through book two.
1: I dig it. Yeah, that makes sense for me. It's still the same answer as when we did book one. Fisher Gesha. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I really, uh, yeah. Um, no, the cloud that they Let's... ride. Let me start over. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the cloud. Yep. So that was my cloud. <clears throat> All right. Let's try again. (laughs) You have broken me, Jonathan. I don't know what it is. Every time you talk, I just get sweaty palms and start stuttering. I'm going to put you in a bath and clean you. Can we watch a BBC documentary (laughs) and drink drink Chablis and you can wash me? Just don't kill me. Oh, what have I done? I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) Yeah. It's Spencer's fault this time. (laughs) So I can't say that I have changed my answer from book one about characters. Obviously, Lyndon, because he's the main character. And that's not a throwaway answer. It's just like, yeah, of course, you want the main character to to succeed. You, you feel for this guy for all the reasons you just mentioned, uh, Spence. And, yeah, I like Lyndon. I really like Yaren. Um, There's just moments with her that I like more than I even like the character, right? Mm-hmm. But those moments are because of the character that she is, like the sword-slapping stuff. I kind of like Ethan because he just seems like this pompous, powerful dude that doesn't care about anything, and he's sarcastic. And I totally saw through the whole facade of him surrendering himself to the <laughs> Jai clan. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. But I can't say, like, hey, this character I really like. Or, like, I really like Linden for X reasons. Or I really identify with Yaren for X reasons. I think if I remember correctly, there were a few things that popped up immediately as I was reading book one. But now that I've been with those characters for a second book, I still like them. I'm still going to read all the books. I plan to at least. I can't say this is the guy or this girl is my favorite. Like in Dune, I liked Cheney a lot. So the one reason that's you know was that I really liked her was till the end of the book where she defends Paul's honor by stabbing some guy. Yes. And yep. when Paul gets butthurt about it, she's like, don't worry about it. Now they know that your girlfriend can kill too. <laughs> like that moment, I was like, you know what? I really like this character. Mm. There hasn't been a moment like this for Yaren or Lyndon or anybody else we've met. The rest of them are a bunch of douchebags, actually. <laughs> yeah. In fact, hopefully something changes in the books where I'm maybe endeared to one of them more than I am now. But currently, I'm here for the ride. I I hope they – I know they do make it. At least Lyndon does, right? But I'm not like (laughs) – I guess Spencer gave that away. (laughs) (laughs) Lyndon's still in book eight. Listen, I bought book 12 on Kindle and mistakenly listened to like 20 minutes of it before I realized I was listening to the wrong book. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> mistakenly. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. No, mistakenly. I promise to you. But I'm like, why does, I don't understand what's going on. What is Fisher Geshe? This sounds like Fisher Geshe. She's rambling about something incoherent. And I'm like, and I looked down at my phone. I was like, oh, that's not Soulsmith <laughs> Yeah. The, the title looks
0: the same, though. The, the, the art looks the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, anyway, yeah. that's my two cents on, on it at on all. Wait till
0: you meet Orthos in the next book.
1: Oh, Black Flame? hmm. I think that looking forward. I to think it. Slav is going to really enjoy Orthos. Mm. Tuesday, I think Tuesday is when I'll start it because I'll be on the bus again. Nice. And that's when I listen to these books. Nice. Chugging, getting, getting us
0: back on track here. Did anything stand out to you, Spencer, in uh, in the first read through of book two?
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that stands out to me <clears throat> is going from Sacred Valley, where I think Jade is the highest anyone has attained, to Going outside of Sacred Valley, and now Lyndon is encountering low golds and high golds, and then Ethan comes in, who's an underlord. To me, seeing, like, oh wow, we. Like Jade is is pretty low here on the overall like power scale like that you can get. So to me, it was cool to see the world expand in that regard, and then realizing the world you know is bigger than than Sacred Valley and the Desolate Wilds. I think we hear about the Black Flame Empire at the near the end of Book Two to know that the world is is so much bigger, and then it even opens up obviously beyond that. And I guess we kind of had a sense of that maybe from. The vision that Lyndon has in the first book from Serial, yeah, but like being able to to start to see that that was yeah that's probably one of the the big things that stood out to me.
0: What about Aethan? What was your first impression of Aethan?
2: Yeah, so so my first impression is like, well, who is this guy, and why is he all of a sudden uh, interested in Lyndon? What is it about Lyndon that stands out to Aethan? And he, to me, he's very mysterious at this point because I feel like we don't know any of his motivations for... Other than that maybe... Well, honestly, I, I don't remember. I think he helps Lyndon out and you're just like, well, why is he helping him? I feel like there's some underlying motivations here, but I don't know what those are. And then, yeah, his Ethan getting trapped or, well, turning himself in be to go into the mines. To me, I was like, there's no way he's just... Being captured, I know that his power level is beyond anyone who... It's over 9,000. Uh, who, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's beyond anyone that we're interacting
0: with right now. Well played. To me, he's very mysterious at this point. Who does he remind you of from the Stormlight Archives or the Cosmere in general? Because I've got two answers for that. So
2: to me, who he would remind me of is Hoid. His motivations are... He doesn't come off like as a bad guy. But yet, he might not hesitate to do what is necessary to achieve his goals. And if you're in his way, then he might just, uh, <laughs> like, shove you out of his way. And if you get hurt in the process, well, that doesn't really matter because you're in Kinda his like way. So, kind of like he did to Fisher Gesha. What's that? Kind of like he did to Fisher Gesha. Oh, yes. Yeah. So he's a very interesting character, and at this point, to me, he's just mysterious, and I want to know more about why he is interested in Linden and Yerin. And-
0: he also reminded right. me a little bit about Vasher, where Vasher, like, his intro in Warbreaker is that he goes into the prison, and Ethan like, went into the mines, and you're like, this mm. doesn't seem
1: normal. Clearly, you're more powerful than whatever you're putting yourself into. Yeah, well, he breaks that uh, brace. That prevents them from cycling, he just breaks it off with a finger. So he's definitely more powerful than your average bear. And then Yaren has to check, like, oh, maybe I can No, 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 this is still hard. All right. So we did a pretty good dive into this. Spence, what about what about this question for you? This sort these sort of books, or maybe fantasy in general, when you read this kind of stuff, is it for entertainment? Uh, is it something that, you know, inspires you, maybe gives you some sort of comfort literally in life, and it helps you process stuff, or Is this uh, pure entertainment? Okay, starting
2: off with Progression Fantasy, to me it is, it was purely for for entertainment. I was looking for something entertaining to listen to or read, and I had no, like, intentions of seeking out, I don't know, any sort of wisdom or inspiration, you know, for life through these books. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) Lyndon, I feel like, can be kind of a, a source of inspiration. You know, someone who you know has every disadvantage in the world and could you know lay down and just kind of give up and and not work to succeed at anything he has all the excuses i guess but he refuses to limit himself and even before uh, in book 1 before the vision with Serial, he was always looking to use any sort of advantage to advance himself and so to me that's a little inspiring to be able to not have any advantage and and kind of scrap your way through to give yourself those advantages so to me I think Lyndon is a little bit inspiring in that regard I definitely didn't go into this series thinking like oh yeah I need inspiration I'm going to look for it here I wanted just something fun to listen to
1: all right now that's that's a good answer I think for me I found inspiration in stuff like this But incidentally, I haven't picked up a book like this, and this is my first time reading Progression Fantasy, so I can't even tell you what a book like this is in my experience. But when Jonathan asked me to read this for the podcast, I didn't go into it thinking, wow, this is going to be just as interesting or as heavy as some of the Sanderson stuff we read. Just because as soon as he said Shonen anime, I was like, okay, I know what I'm getting into. I like that. (laughs) I'm I'm all I'm down. But I don't watch Dragon Ball Z for, you know, a philosophy lesson. Monster, or Death Note, or even Akira, like, yeah, there's some interesting stuff in there that we can, you know, pull out beyond just entertainment. I have found inspiration also in strange places when it comes to literature. Because, yeah, you can go to a heavy book like War and Peace, or Crime and Punishment, and there you might find something heavy that kind of maybe inspires you, or... Gets you through something, or you know, kind of it's, it's heady, right? Yep. But I have found some silly short stories by Stephen King very interesting. What would I do as a character if I had this power or if I was going through this sort of thing? So I'm sure as the books continue, there might be a thing here or there that jumps out, and I'll be like, oh wow, the Orthos did X, and that's very interesting. Anyway, and moving on so we can land this plane soon, what have you noticed about Lyndon's growth as a character? And speak to that for the soul smith and without spoiling too much for the audience, maybe by book eight, what are some things that just stand out to you? And if you can just use general language, that, like I said, without spoiling anything. Sure.
2: I feel like I touched on this a little bit already, but just seeing him go from this person who has nothing to now he's starting to find out how much is possible for him he is someone who will take every advantage that's given to him and some people might want to try to do things the right way or there's a specific way that you're supposed to do things and I have to do it that way otherwise I didn't do it right whereas Lyndon is like Oh well, this I guess in book two, this Saint Viper venom or whatever it is will help me all right, let's do it and it's not the normal way that someone should do it. Well,
1: I don't care it's gonna help me advance. I want to know how to do it. I want to be able to, right. to get there. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because in last week's episode I was I was telling Jonathan how I'm glad that he killed crawl. I don't care that he stabbed him <laughs> in the back. I don't care if it was a dirty yeah. way like this, this is war, man this is not we're not white gloved gentlemen <laughs> in some kind of fantasy yeah. novel. Like this is war, yeah. Mm-hmm. Crawl, crawl gets stabbed in the back of the neck. It's all good. And it's
2: not like crawl would, he- and crawl wouldn't hesitate to do that to Lyndon, right? You know, right. And so, th- yeah, that's one thing I, I did appreciate because sometimes in a lot of modern, I don't know about modern, but a lot of like movies or stories nowadays, you get characters who are afraid to kill because oh I don't want to be like the killer you know I don't want to be like the bad guy but then that just sets up the story for the bad guy to come back and create more havoc are you really taking the moral high ground there by not killing I don't know just food for thought but that's one thing I noticed about Linden is he's not afraid to take whatever advantage or to use whatever he's got to further his advancement. That's that's probably the big thing that stands out to me about Lyndon and his growth. One thing
1: that was uh, a pleasure to see was him kind of shedding some of his this one and gratitude <laughs> and, you know, the, even not consciously, yeah. not consciously, where he ye- yells at Ethan uh, and then goes, oh, I'm, I mean, uh, <clears throat> maybe we should do it this way. But... <laughs> Him losing some of those complexes and inhibitions—that's nice. That's good. Yeah, now that you
2: now that you point that out, I do. He he doesn't do that nearly as often in the later books as he he does in books one and two, which is good to see. Right.
0: Riffing off this for a second with Lyndon's growth and kind of tying it and synthesizing it with the uh, the previous question too, of only using things for entertainment. I would pose that Stormlight Archives is progression fantasy because each book they learn a new ideal and that you have both read Progression Fantasy before. It's just longer. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is I use Linden the same way I use Kaladin where it's like when you're working out and you're like, this is really hard, It's uh, but it's time to level up. Same thing when I'm like feeling lazy and don't want to do the dishes or haven't done whatever stupid task that I need to do and then it's really only a task that's going to take me you know, maybe at most an hour, are you really going to choose to be weak right now? Or are you going to choose to, like, be your best self? Because even though it's hard, even though it's a struggle, even though you don't feel like it, you know, these characters that I have literally art on my wall about. In book three, there's a, a set of phrases. It's uh, the dragon advances, the dragon conquers, the dragon destroys. And I had art made up of that because to me that is... Something that resonates with me, where it's like, no, we need to keep going forward. We don't get to go backward; we go forward. And it's only when I start to allow myself to become a little fat prince, where it's like, oh, okay, I don't have to do anything. I'm just like, it's fine that I I look at that art and I go, no, I need to discipline myself again. I need to cut the calories or like eat less sweets or whatever, like whatever my thing is. What it, that I'm like need to go. Okay, nope, I need to stay disciplined because there's like. A forward momentum that I enjoy living in. That's kind of how I use Lyndon as a, as a character. And I it, I don't go into these books thinking that, but I do simply how I synthesize the world. And I think I talked about this in a previous episode too, where it's just like, I'm constantly assessing what I'm ingesting to how I can use it as fuel to make myself better. Sometimes it doesn't always work. Like I'm watching Suits right now and it's pretty entertaining. It's a lawyer show, has not been on air for like five years and i'm just discovering it so
1: <laughs> very much behind it he doesn't go to Harvard. <laughs> he's a savant <laughs> thanks slava <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's ruined <laughs> great great i do my best to not ruin anything for slava huh. his first thing is i'm gonna ruin it for you let me just let me ruin that for you I just throw that out there
2: oh boy yeah, Jonathan, I just like to maybe chime in along a little bit with that. Is I recently started getting back into running. I've been doing it at least twice a week, sometimes three. And I've actually thought like during my some of my runs about Lyndon. Like, well, would he, like, he wouldn't just give up? Or like when I it's time, like I have time blocked out for a run, but then I'm at home and I'm sitting down. Like, oh well, I'm so tired or I just want to take a nap, or I just want to play video games. You know, I think about Lyndon, and it's like, well, he just wouldn't sit back. Like, this is the times where he would um, force himself to to do what is necessary to get to where he needs to be. And it's actually given me a little bit of inspiration to to keep up with, with running and staying while getting back into shape. So I just wanted to yeah share that little tidbit there.
1: The dragon advances, Spencer. The
2: dragon advances, yes.
1: And here I am thinking about treachery within treachery. Only if you're
0: going to kindly kill it. That joke was funnier in my head. So, uh, no pity laughs. Um, anyway, let's do a quick chat about one of the themes. I want to hear Spencer's thoughts. So, Spencer, of these themes, which one do you feel resonated the most while you were reading Both book two and also, like, if you want to think about it, books three through eight. Linden and Ingenuity, Order and Balance, Fate as a Cruel Mistress because of all the suffering that happens in the book, Books, Human Limitations and Ascension and Overcoming, Trust and Learning to Rely on Others, or Honor and Dishonor.
2: I think one of the things that maybe stands out to me theme-wise here is Trust and Relying on Others. Yerin is hesitant to trust anyone, and Lyndon. I think, Jonathan, you kind of made this point earlier at some point. I don't remember when. But that, uh, Lyndon essentially has to trust everyone because he is almost always the weakest person with whoever he's with. That would be it's a tough spot to be in for Lyndon, having to trust people because you're the weakest one.
1: Yeah, it doesn't sound like a fun spot. Or even worse, you have to rely on them and not be able to trust them. Oof.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't quite thought about it that way. You know, at this point, he's trusting and relying on Ethan to do what is best for him. And he doesn't really know, other than Ethan got Linden to advance to Iron. But Linden doesn't really know what Ethan has in store for him. Maybe he's using him as a pawn or something. We don't really know at this point, and neither does Lyndon. Giving that much power to people in your life would be challenging, I think. And I, and I don't know if that's even something that, that I would do. You know, we it's general human nature to try to figure things out on our own.
0: Do you think that Ethan is trustworthy at the end of Soulsmith when he's talking with Yaren and he says something like, my master always told me that the path of the sacred arts isn't big enough for two people to walk the same path. And Ethan says, I wanted to find some people to walk to the end of the sacred arts with me. He says it much more colloquially, and maybe you can find it because I think you brought your book, Spencer. To me, that line just hit pretty well, especially with the idea of like having to trust people. And it's like, yeah, we just met Ethan and we don't know if we can trust him, but we've seen him do a few things. We've seen him purposely throw himself in harm's way by entering the mines. We saw him give linden a new breathing cycle or a new cycling technique with his breathing so that he can advance correctly and then also the wisdom and advice to upgrade to iron even though it was suffering
2: athan says oh yes Yeren says but my master used to say that no path is wide enough for two athan lost his smile somewhere along the way and he was giving her a look of such intensity that she wondered if he if she was seeing him for the first time And he says, and that is exactly the problem I wish to solve. I have been looking for people to walk with me every step of the way.
1: Yeah, and then she says, where to? And he says, to the end. Oh, yep.
2: So, so yeah, I guess, Jonathan, your question was, do do I think Ethan is trustworthy at that point? Ethan's one of those characters where we don't often get to see the true, his true face or his true self. And I think that's one of those moments. And I'd forgotten about that one. So that was um, a good point. Or I'm glad you brought that up because that makes me want to trust athan more at this point in the series i'd be like all right i'm I'll, like i would be willing to at least see what this guy has to offer and i'd be a little bit more willing to go with him and see what he has to offer so
0: yeah to me that moment that you just read a second ago before i think it was actually just after a year and said like master always said that every path wasn't wide enough for two people and it says she looked at him as if she was looking at him for the first time because he's such an elusive mm. character, especially with his desire, and this isn't going to make any sense to Slava, but like his, uh, Ethan's desire to find the joy icon where it's like he's putting on this act almost, even though it's not an act, it like still is a little bit, which is why I think he hasn't found that joy icon yet. He does give it like this moment of being very real, which I think makes us very endeared to him, even though we're like not sure if we can trust him, but we can tell that his response is authentic. I can agree with that.
2: Yep. Yeah.
1: All right, Slava, bring us home. Bring us home. Well, I think the next thing we have to do after this serious conversation is read some bloopers. (laughs) So I'm going to start us off with the second blooper, and then maybe you guys can pick some of your favorites. I have like two that I like. Kral gripped his ass tighter, and Ethan could practically hear him refusing out of general stubbornness. Ethan sighed and faced Kral and Jialong together. Fine, then. I spit on the honor of the sand vipers. You don't have a spine between you. Your mother were dogs, and the sandviper isn't that great of a mascot, etc., <laughs> etc. Et Fight me. <laughs> Jialong's mask face tilt. He placed a hand on Kral's shoulders. Wait, I think he's just looking for an excuse to show off. What? Ethan huffed. Well, I never. Yeah, I've heard of the Underlord of the Aurelius family that likes to pull pranks like this to inflate his ego. Ethan cleared his throat and tightened his collar. I don't know that I've heard those rumors exactly. If he is an Underlord in disguise, we can't do anything to him except embarrass ourselves. And if he isn't, he's clearly got some other plan in mind. Let's just go. The vipers parted and marched by Ethan, leaving him standing alone in the street with a lit pipe. It started off better than it ended, but like the whole, your mothers or dogs, fight me. (laughs) I I like that.
0: What do you got, Spence? Which one's your your favorite blooper?
2: I like this one. It says, Ethan tapped his chin with one finger, thinking, you must have something to improve madra quality if you made it to copper without harvesting aura. I have a parasite ring, Lyndon offered. Ethan beamed. Perfect. May I see it? Lyndon extended the ring and Ethan plucked it from his hand. All right. That's all I wanted from you. He strode toward the sealed door of the labyrinth's exit. Wait, were you going to train me? Oh no, I was just in this for the new for a new parasite ring. Good luck. The door swung open just enough to let Ethan slip out before it slammed shut.
1: <laughs> like... And Linden continued to scream yeah. <laughs> oh, this one's uh this one's good, and then Jonathan, I think you should be one too. Linden sat up next to Yaren, who was still pale and shaken from the venom. We'll pay them back for this, Linden said. A hundred times over, we'll pay them back. One of the guards nearby shouted, hey, did you hear that? He says he'll pay us back. He's plotting revenge. Get him. <laughs> Lyndon regretted that beating more than most. Oh, boy. One that involves um, a hark back to
0: one suggested topic. The, the fated future of Yeren, the sword sage's disciple. Continue. Continue. Topic accepted. Continuing report. Without Linden's intervention, Yaren continues to do battle with the Heaven's Glory School. Ultimately, she survives to have her revenge and recover her master's body and spirit, which she takes along to the outside world. She's fortunate enough to run into an old friend of her master's, who takes her in and continues her training. She's adopted into a new family and lives a blessed life. As her rough edges soften and she becomes a more complete person, as well as a more powerful sacred artist. In only a few short years, Aaron is not only one of the most powerful people in Cradle, but also one of the kindest and most charitable she leads the world into a new era of compassion and equality. A suggested topic, the once-future golden age that would have been led by Yeren, queen of kindness. Continue. Denied. Report complete. Serial shifted uncomfortably in her chair. All right. Maybe I should have asked you before I told Linda to rescue Yeren. Her presence did not deign to reply. That's the Yeren that Slava really wants to meet. Queen of kindness. Yes, the
1: kind-hearted. <laughs> yeah. Tea-sipping, pearl-clutching. She might be the kindly killer. Yeah, just trying to bring this first full Gee, circle here. Slap them, slaps them with swords
0: as they're dead. Well, Spencer, you wanna you're you're a regular guest. You wanna end this one
2: for us? All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us on the Side Quest podcast. Do us a favor, follow the podcast and leave a review so we know what you like and dislike. We'll catch you on the next Side Quest.
1: And what were you gonna say, John? Oh, I was
0: gonna say maybe Spencer should do our intros and outros. Got a, got a good voice. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Well, Slava and I keep dinkering back and forth on um, how we're going to change the intro and outro, so maybe the, gotcha. the solution here is we just have you do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're a partial owner. If we ever make a dime, you know, you'll get two or three pennies. <laughs> <Sweet>.
1: <laughs> That's like 30%, dude. He, he's like, wait. I love you, He's man. like, hold on a second. That's not, <laughs> That's
2: not what I signed up for. Oh,
1: goodness.